Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. We sang, surely his goodness will run after us. That word pursue could be better translated or alternatively translated as run after. He chases us down with his love. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. That is who we are as the saints of God. So this week you may have walked through the valley of shadow of death. You might have sat at a table in the presence of your enemies. You might have been in really hard places. And yet, the goodness and mercy of Jesus Christ will chase you down and will lead you back home to this place where you can be strengthened, where you can be equipped, where you can be restored, where your life can be, you can be reminded of the life that you have that will not ever fade away. Not because of who we are, because we're special, because we figured something out, but because of the mercy and kindness of our Lord Jesus. Let's thank Him for that truth this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we can claim, we can know that in spite of the things that we will experience, that we have experienced this week, the things that are coming for us, perhaps as soon as we walk out from these doors, that darkness will not be overcome by the light of Your goodness for us. Lord. And if we will humble ourselves we can see and we can know your goodness and mercy that chase us down, that will, that have pursued us all the days of our lives. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that we can gather this morning to be equipped for the ministry that you've called us to in this city and beyond. We love you, Jesus. We lift all of these praises to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. It is uh, for sure a special day, a fun day to be here with you. So glad that you're here. If you're a guest with us um, this morning... Um, I first just want to say that you couldn't have asked for a better day uh, to visit our church um, because you're going to hear uh, what uh, we um, trust is the vision that God has given us that we have sort of staked our lives to now for five plus years and what we are trusting in as we move forward ahead for the next five, 15, 20, 500 years should the Lord not come back sooner as we pray that he would, let's Lord Jesus just come tomorrow. We'd be fine with that. But until he returns, that we believe that he's continued, he was called us to be. And, and so um, you couldn't have asked for a better day to be here. 
Um, at the same time, this is a little bit of a unique day and a special day, and so um, there are going to be, uh, there's a little bit of us uh, as we teach and we open up the scriptures today. Um, this is kind of like us calling the play in the huddle, and we're going to to break and go out and do the work of ministry. So it's as if, uh, you know, we are mic'd up on Monday Night Football, and you're kind of pe- peering into all that we're about and everything, and so um, it definitely uh, will give you a unique uh, perspective as to who we are. Um, our practice here at the Parks Church, uh, see there, I did it right there. It's going to happen more than once. Our practice here at City Church Melissa is to work our way through books of the Bible. Um, as Kyle said, yes, it's a new name and a new um, uh, just visual identity, but we are the same people of God that God gathered together. And our practice is to just work our way through. And so we've been in a study in the book of Ephesians. We will pick that back up next week. Um, but for de- today, for this Vision Sunday, and uh, this sort of rolling out of this new identity, um, we wanted to break and we wanted to see and look at the scriptures and ask the Lord, what is it um, that you have called us to be? Who have you called us to be? And just in a sense, sort of remind ourselves of that. Um, Some of you in this room were here on March 30th, 2014, and that's a day that we remember back so fondly as the day that this church launched. Um, And then there will be a new date, November 3rd, 2019, that we'll look back on and we'll remember what God, how he sort of, this was a little bit of a stake in the ground. But although this is Vision Sunday and you might begin to think it sort of, uh, it would be natural for us in some senses to say, hey, we're just going to talk a little bit about what we think God has called us to be and what we're doing and um, in a sense have a very man-centered conversation. That's not what we're going to do because the authority of this church is the word of God. This is where we rest and stake our lives to. And so we're not going to not break open the Word of God as um, a beautiful wife, Laurel, read for us. We're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 29. And we're going to see what God, God's Word has to say to us as we think about who the church is, who we have been called to be, and the specific vision that He has given us. Um, and so... That's where I'm going to invite you to turn. If you don't have a Bible, you can just grab one. They're under the first seat of most every row. You can pass that down. If you don't own a copy, you can turn your Bible on. You just press that little button at the bottom or show it up to your face nowadays. And uh, you can look at your Bible there and you can uh, follow along with me. I also just want to make a special note of welcome to our kids' church that is here. Uh, If you're a regular kids' church attender, raise your hand for me. Everybody in kids' church, I see the little hands. There they are. Great. So hopefully you got a kids' church bulletin that Miss Jessica put together for you and some crayons, and you can follow along. And I'm going to try and make note of these, but there's a few words that you're going to be invited to try and spell out as you follow along with us. And um, if you are of the youngest age, perhaps mom and dad will help you do that. But I just want you to know that it's, you're here, and it's important that you're here. We're glad that you're joining us here in big church with mom and dad, uh, grandma and grandpa, aunt or uncle, whoever it is that you're gathered with. Uh, we're thankful that you're here. And so you can listen along. You can color. Um, you can even take a nap. I won't call you out on it, all right? I just want you to know this is a safe zone for all the little ones, uh, but we're so glad um, that you're here. So Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29. We all know verse 11 so well. For I know the plans for you, says the Lord, plans for a hope and a future that he's going to give us, not for evil, but he has good things ahead of us. 
We hold, we, we very often can stake our lives to that verse. I, I know many people, if you, uh, perhaps you're like this, maybe you or your family have a life verse or a verse that sort of you think um, just you, you love because it describes your walk with the Lord um, and his faithfulness to you. And Jeremiah 29, 11 is a very popular one. It's one that we often know. I often joke it's the one that's on a lot of coffee mugs um, that are out, are out there. But this verse is written to a people not just an individual, but to a people. It's written to the people of God. And as it is written to the people of God, they're, they're, they find themselves in some pretty tumultuous circumstances and some tumultuous times. I don't know if you're like me, but as I look around the world and I see all of the things that are going on in our world, I can find myself thinking, Lord, we are in some, some seriously challenging, broken, and hard times. But Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us that God has a plan. He declares it. Plans for welfare, for future, and for a hope. The first thing that this verse teaches us as we will look at this more fully is that these are God's plans. So often, one of the reasons that we're so challenged in this life is that we do not yield ourselves to the plans of God, but rather, we think that we have it all figured out and we're going to make our plans. How often? Everything that you do, perhaps on Sunday evenings, it might be your habit as a family to say, okay, we're going to plan out everything for our week. We're going to plan our meals. We're going to package everything together and have everything ready. That's not the way we do it. So I'm just telling you, we're not that organized. But some of you are really gifted in that area. And, uh, and so you have everything kind of set aside and everything structured. Nothing wrong with that, but that's how we live our lives. We think to ourselves every single day, we wake up and we think, I'm in control of this day. Let me see what I can accomplish. And the world tells us that we should do that. The world whispers in our ear and even shouts sometimes to our face, hey, you need to make it happen today. What is the, one of the most powerful slogans in marketing? Just do it. Just go and do it. It's up to you. What is it? If, it's up, if it is to be, it's up to me. All these little phrases that are whispered in our ear that sort of trickle into our lives and cause us to think that everything that we do and what we want to accomplish is, is it rests on our shoulders. And we sometimes wonder why it is that we are worn out as a people, that we are completely exhausted because we do not know how to rest, because if we were to rest, that would mean that it was up to someone else to accomplish whatever good might come for us. That would require faith. That would require a trust in someone who is not us, and we do not like to live like that. But God's Word says, I know the plans that I have for you. And it's for a people not just individually. This is for a group of people. Jeremiah has written, this passage of the Scriptures are written to a people, as we know, who have been taken into exile. They have been stripped and put in, enslaved in Babylon. They have nothing of their own. And God tells them that, they, that He has a plan for them. That He has a hope for them. And everything around them looks as if it's in complete and utter disarray. That requires a lot of faith. That requires a lot of hope to believe that, yes, in the midst of all that I see, God, I trust and I know that your plans are real and are there. Now, we, as, a, as City Church, formerly known as the Parks Church, we know 
what those plans are because we've been in a study of Ephesians. And so if we think backwards to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. In him we have redemption through the blood, through the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. That's what what Ephesians has taught us, is who we are in Christ. His plan for us is to adopt us as sons and daughters and to give us a future and a hope that is everlasting. So we know that we have this hope. But since it's his plan, since it's not our plan, Since God decided what the plan was, he also gets to dictate how it's revealed to us, how he opens it up for us. And it's clear, both from 29-11, and there are the the verses verses 4 through 5, 7 and 11 from Ephesians chapter 1, that this plan is for the church, not just a person, not an individual. One of the challenges of our society and the reason that we're always trying to do our plans is because all we think about is ourselves as individuals. We're too individualistic. We don't see ourselves as saved and saved into a body. We don't recognize that the gift of the gospel, as we talked about last week, is a a gift of the gospel that brings us into faithful community with one another. But his plan is for the church. Of course, it is for the church, and the church is made up of individuals, so it's a little bit can become, for us, a chicken-and-the-egg situation. But we need to realize that the, the global plan, the cosmic plan of God, is for a people. And he moves in people's lives. He, he shares stories and reveals himself into people's lives so that he can be glorified, so his plans can be revealed. Laurel and I, when we were moved to this city, and I say we were moved because we, in a sense, didn't really choose this city. We found ourselves, and I've shared that story many times. I won't rehash the whole thing, but we found ourselves living in this community. God moved individually in our lives because why? He had a cosmic plan to bring us to this place that he knew he would break our hearts for and give us a love that was supernatural and not rooted in the flesh. And out of that love, he would call us to gather a people together to plant a church. So he moved in our lives individually so that he could accomplish his bigger picture. I think of Weston Bartlett, one of our student leaders. Early on in the life of our church, Weston will be embarrassed. You can thank him after service for being such an amazing leader. But he's someone that came in, and he came in a little bit kicking and screaming. He didn't always want to be here initially. And he shared this publicly, so I'm not ratting him out, by the way. Don't get nervous. I don't do that. I asked him permission. But he, he came here and sort of reluctantly, and then God began to move in his life and to show him that he wasn't the God of his universe, that there was a bigger God, the one true God who was the authority of his life. And over time, as we just encouraged and came around this brother, he yielded his life and now lives his life on mission primarily in the lives of so many of our students. He lays down his life regularly. God moved in his life individually and called him here and broke down some idols that he had in his life so that he could become a part of this bigger story that he was writing. We give glory to God for that, but it's always for the people as a whole. 
And so these stories tell us how God moves and He brings us together. These are our family stories. We need to retell them often. I can tell you that in our family, we think back periodically to all of the things that God has done since bringing us here. And we'll sit down periodically and we'll just talk about those things. With the first house we lived in, we rented the house and we signed a lease. So my youngest son calls it our lease house. Hey, do you remember when we lived in the lease house? We weren't here yet. We weren't permanent yet. We didn't have roots. But do you remember how God moved when we were in that season of life? And we, we love to tell these stories. We need to collectively tell these stories of God's faithfulness to us. It isn't just a people of God that there are a people that have been randomly brought together. No, that's not who we are. We are a people who have been brought together supernaturally under the sovereign hand of God to accomplish His purpose. Again, His purpose is for us individually, but also for us corporately. Now, I started in 11, and as you're going to see, we're going to work our way backwards, a little bit of an, uh, a unique way to read the text this week. But we're going to go back up to chapter 7, because in chapter 7, or verse 7, excuse me, verse 7, God reveals to us how it is that He intends to deliver upon this future promise and to give this hope. And in Jeremiah 29, verse 7, a verse that we don't know as well, perhaps, it says this, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Seek the welfare of the city I have sent you into exile, not your home. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, not your own. And as you seek its welfare, you will find your welfare. So God is saying to this people who have been put into exile, who have been enslaved, I have a plan for you. Trust me that I have a plan for you. But let me tell you, before I tell you that, let me tell you what I'm instructing you to do as you wait on the fulfillment of that plan, as you look forward to the promises of that plan. You are to trust that I have put you where I wanted you for a purpose, and here are the instructions that I give you as you live in this city that I've sent you to. Seek the welfare. So God's plan for the church is revealed to us. Essentially, it says in this verse, as we serve others, as we lay down our lives for others. Of course, we know that our aim, our purpose is to make disciples, to see people who are dead come alive through Christ, see the gospel transform people, But the means, the means for God to accomplish that, it seems, is for us to be used by Him as we lay down our lives in service to others, as we seek their welfare. We're here to accomplish something. In the words of Kanye, we're here to turn atheists into believers. That's what we do. But how do we do that? What's the means, the vehicle that God would use to allow us to do that? It says we seek the welfare of others. We lay down our lives. So let's work our way through this text. And kids, this is where you want to pay attention. If you took a quick nap, that's okay. Time to wake up. First word is what it says, God's word, Jeremiah 29, 7 says, seek. He says to us, but seek the welfare. This is an active word. 
This is a calling to pursue, to find ways to bless the city where I've sent you. As we seek it out, it's not something that we just sort of haphazardly do. We don't stumble upon it. We don't accidentally end up doing these things. We don't do these things just because we're good people. But no, we seek out ways for us to love and to care for others. The word seek tells us that it's something that we have to engage in proactively. And so as City Church Melissa... One of the things that you're going to hear us begin to repeat more often than we have some new language to go along with this new name and new identity is we're going to just simply state four things that we strive to do as we seek the welfare, as we engage actively in the work that God's called us to do. The first thing he calls us to do is to gather in community, to gather regularly, consistently, often, Remember last week during our baptism celebration where Jimena Buer testified to how her student group gathered around her when she first moved to this city and they sought her out and they encouraged her to gather regularly, to gather consistently, to come together over and over and over again. And as God moved through those students, these young girls, moms and dads, not us who should have it all figured out, not those of us who are theologically well adept, but no, young women who said, I'm going to love this person, I'm going to seek her out. God moved through them because they sought out, they were active to gather regularly and consistently. And they were there every Wednesday night and they invited her to come every Wednesday night. And she began to come and then she attended uh, summer camp and went on and on and on. And last week we had the joy of baptizing her as our sister in Christ. And a life changed for eternity because people were, were committed. They sought out to gather. Now I hadn't preached this sermon, so I don't think that our students necessarily were thinking of that in mind, but we can look at them as an example to us all. That we are to seek out the gathering of the saints. The, God's word says, don't forsake the gathering of the, This place is a gift to us. And so we have to seek it out because as we gather together in community, we are able to invite others in. I won't put you on the spot, guests, but I look out and I see new faces that are with us this morning. We're gathered together so that you can find a place to call home. A family of God. And so we seek out the gathering of the saints. So we gather Sunday mornings. We gather in men's and women's Bible studies. We gather in small groups that we call fight clubs. Very small groups. Ladies, you have an opportunity to gather in just a couple weekends at the Together event. Where, if you're a lady, raise your hand. Guess you don't have to, but everybody else does. Don't be shy. All right. November 16th, there's an opportunity to come together as an entire community. Our ladies that are putting this event on want, want the whole community to come together. Every lady to find a place to know that she is loved. On that note, our women's ministry team will be at the back at the close of service. And if you haven't registered, ladies, to be a part of that event, we want to just invite you to go to the back. Be sure and find your way to the back. So if I forget to say it again at the very end, ladies, you raised your hand, you're awake enough, go to the back and find our women's ministry. Gather together. The second thing of the second pillar, so we gather in community, we study the Bible. I said as I began, we're not taking a break from the Bible just because we're talking about this vision that God has given us or sort of recommitting our lives today to what God has called us to be as a church. But we study the Bible. Everything that we do, when we do gather, we're going to study God's Word. 
Again, the word is our authority. It is also sufficient. Many people don't argue with the authority of God's word, but the sufficiency of God's word, that it is, has all of the answers. If you're sitting there today, and I expect you ha- there's got to be at least one, if not a handful of you, that are sitting in this room, and you're wondering to yourself, what does God have to say? Does God have anything to say about this circumstance, this challenge, this frustration, whatever it is that you might be dealing with? Maybe a joy that you feel like you're experiencing, but you're not sure, should I be celebrating this? I don't know what you might be wrestling with, but yes, God's word is sufficient, and he has given us everything that we need to know him. And if we know him, what else is there to know? I know God. That's it. The end of the story. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. That doesn't mean that I always do everything correctly. But what it does tell me is that I know the one who created me. I know him well. I have a relationship with me. And I know confidently that he has a plan for me, a hope and a future for me that cannot be shaken, does not uh, titter or totter on the ways of this world. I don't stand on unfirm ground because I know God. Why? Because I study the Bible. It's sometimes talk to me, oh, pastor, you know the Bible better than I do. Well, maybe I do, but let me tell you why. Because I study it. It's not because I'm special. It's not because I'm unique. It's because I decided in God's sovereignty that I was going to spend my life pouring into this word. You want to know? You have questions? You have doubts in your life? Open your Bibles, friends. I plead with you. Open your Bibles. If you don't own one, just take Take all of them. They're all spread out in this room. You can have them all. You can have one for every room and every nightstand. Please, take a Bible. Use your Bibles. But we're going to study the Bible. Third pillar of our church, we nurture families. One of the things that we recognize about this community that we live in is that it's full of kids. I had our kids' church raise our hands. Our students are here every week gathering with us. There's so many others that aren't here, but so many of you in this community have kids, have had kids, have grandkids coming, all different sorts. But this is a a, a community that there's a lot of family. But the family doesn't just exist where it's centered around children. There's a family that is empty nesters, single, widowed. There's all walks of life in this community community. And we have to be intentional to understand that all of those people are loved by God, and we have a responsibility to nurture that family. And so we come together as a family because there's a supernatural family, there's a spiritual family that trumps all of the earthly relationships. Even the relationship that I have with my wife and my kids, yes, I'm called to lead, I'm called to serve, I'm called to lay down my life for them. But ultimately, the relationships that I have with all of you as brothers and sisters in Christ, those are the eternal relationships. Those are the ones that last. And we're here to nurture this family. One of the things that we just have to be real about, sometimes it sticks a little bit when I say this, but our kids and the kids of this community have become idols for so many of us. We worship them. We worship their success. We worship their achievement. We worship providing some special thing that is way above and beyond. And I get it. I'm a dad. I want to provide for my kids a better life than I had on my own when I was young. But when I worship them, I don't do them any good. I got to be someone who worships God. And as I worship him and I lead them to enter into worship of him and not all of the things of their life, 
That's where how we nurture families and how we serve them. So we decide, hey, we're going to teach and try to encourage moms, dads, aunts and uncles, grandparents and grandmothers. I said grandparents and grandmothers. I don't speak well. But we do all of those, all of those people. We want to help you be the disciple makers that God has called you to be. Moms and dads, it's your responsibility to train your children in the ways of the Lord. Now the church, as we committed to last week when we got to dedicate Cooper, we commit our lives to, to supporting you and being there for you and praying with you and doing all we can. But it's your responsibility. But we take that calling seriously. Fourth pillar is that we're to love our city and beyond. To find ways to bring the love of Christ to bear in this city. So, we gather in community, we study the Bible, we nurture families, and we love our city and beyond. We love this city sacrificially. And as we think about how we love this city, that's where we get to the other words in this text. In Jeremiah 29, 7, go back to the text, Jeremiah 29, verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. Kids, that's your next word, exile. Nope, sent. Sorry, that's your next word. I messed it up. Sent. So, we're sent. We are a people that have been sent here under the sovereign hand of God. I told you the story about our family's arrival in this city, but each and every one of you has some story to say about how you were placed here. Some of you were placed here generations ago, and you've wondered why for many, many years. Well, here, let me tell you why. Because God said that you should live here so that you could bring glory and honor to his name in this community. That's why you were sent here. Whether you were sent here last week or whether you were sent here 30 years ago, you were sent by God. This isn't an accident that we find ourselves in this city and in this community. We seek the welfare of the city where God has sent us And yes, he has sent us into exile. We did a study through the book of Daniel, and so I don't have to rehash much of this, but if you you missed that study, just remind you that, that this is not our home. Daniel talks about all throughout his text that he is in exile, that he's living for someplace else. And so there's a little bit of a paradox here is that we're called to love this city, we're called to be here and to seek its welfare and all of those sorts of things, but it's not really our home. There's like this temporary nature to it. I'm going to get to that a little bit deeper in just a moment, but what we know is that, yes, this is not our home. We live for someplace else, and in the interesting ways of of God and how it's just a mystery that only he can work out, he has sent us here into exile, and as we love this city, as we care for this city, as we trust God for the sake of this city, the best way for us to do that is to remember that we're not going to be here permanently. The best way for us to do that is to remember that this is just, we're just in temporary holding right now. We're going somewhere else. We have a future home that will not fade, that will not be turned to dust like everything else that we see. So yes, we establish our homes, we live here, but we don't live for here. We live here as sent people, but we live for Christ and his kingdom. And as we do that, that's the way that we seek the welfare of the city. Next word, he says, seek the welfare 
of the city where I've sent you into exile. And then he says, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. One of the things that we have to come to grips with and to realize is that our battle is not with flesh and blood. This is a supernatural endeavor. This is a spiritual, cosmic endeavor. We're not just trying to be good people, to be good neighbors, or any of those things that anyone can do. But no, we are trying to bring the city of God to bear His kingdom, to make, us, to make it evident to everyone that we might encounter. And how do we do that? We must pray. If we're going to see God move, we have to seek His face. I ask often, I say, how in the world could we claim and could we ask for the power of God to raise dead men and women, boys and girls to life when we have not sought that power out through prayer? We must be a people of prayer. That's why we will continue until Jesus returns, calling you to gather together corporately in prayer. The second Sunday of every month, we set aside... Outside of this gathering, it's the only other thing that we ask the entire church to come to collectively, to commit, because what we know is that this is not something that we're going to be able to do on our own. I can tell you that I do not get up here and open up God's Word and do that flippantly without spending an inordinate amount of time in prayer. I have nothing to offer you, friends. I am worthless if not for the Holy Spirit of God speaking through me and in giving me enlightenment to see what God's Word has, I have to pray. So thankfully, I have this sort of task before me every week. As we like to say around Easter time, pastors get to say it every week. Sundays are coming. I better get on my knees in prayer. I need to ask the Lord to give me a word to share to you, to encourage you, to remind you of His grace, to remind you of His love. But we as a people are called to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you, God says. And to do that, we must be a people of prayer, committing our lives to praying for this city, to praying for those. So remember, all again, we're not battling flesh and blood here. Satan does not want this church to proclaim His goodness, God's goodness to the world. He will do anything to divide us. He will even make us very, very busy doing little things that are insignificant that will turn to dust in eternity. The meaningful things are those things that are bathed in prayer and that we're equipped to in prayer. Finally, the last word that he he repeats multiple times in this text. And so when God's word, when he says something more than once, you know you want to pay attention. But he says, but seek the welfare of the city, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Seek the welfare. As you do that, you'll find your own welfare. This is seeking the best for our city. Again, we can do good deeds. We can serve in our schools. We can be the best neighbors that we can find. But this word welfare, to begin alternatively translated as seek the peace. And that peace, the literal word is shalom. To seek the peace of God in this city. As we seek the peace of God, it's not just doing good things or being good neighbors. It's displaying Christ's love. It's actively displaying the love of God 
to our community, to everyone around us. And so we have to pursue that. Pursue the means to be able to declare to everyone that we know that we love them. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by the way you love. And guess what? As I talked about a few weeks ago, it's not just a love for others. It's they'll know you're my disciples by the way you love me and you love one another. And so we have to be a people. If we want to seek the welfare, the reason that God says that we'll find our welfare as we seek the welfare of others is because there's something inherently sacrificial in that. There's something loving in that. We have to lay down our lives if we're going to serve others. What others need, and this, this is a quote I learned a long time ago from a missionary down in South Dallas. He says, you know you have true community when the burdens of others become your burdens. When you love others so well that their hurts and their pains become your pains. And when we look around us and as we prayerfully seek this welfare of the city and God gives us eyes to see those around us, we're going to see the pains that they have. We're going to see the suffering that they're experiencing. We're going to see all of those things. And how do we then go and love them through that? We introduce them to the peace of Jesus that says, as I talked about, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Even though I'm experiencing the hardest thing I have ever experienced in my life today, I know that goodness and mercy will follow me. And why? Because I know Jesus. It's out of that knowledge of Him that I'm brought to an understanding of who He is. And so we're called to be a people that seek the welfare that seek to bring peace, that bring the gospel to bear in this community. And so we have to find ways to seek that out. So, how do we do that? As we try to do that thing, City Church Melissa, one of the things that God has called us to do is to have a base camp. I told you I'm working my way backwards through this text on purpose, but if you go to verses 5 and 6, this is what God tells the exiles. He tells them that they're to anchor themselves to this community that he sent them to. Look, listen to what he says. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. See, they thought because they'd been sent into exile that they'd only be there just a short little while. And because they were only going to be there a short little while, they weren't going to do anything to just make this place home. They were just going to kind of hang out temporarily. But God says, no, I have a plan for you. And the first step for, you, for me accomplishing that plan through you is that you're to establish yourself in this community. You're to make deep roots in this place because I've sent you there. And as you, then I want you to seek the welfare of this community as you give your kids into marriage and you multiply and you become a people of God in this place, you will become recognizable. And your love for one another and your love for me and your obedience together will become visible to the outside world. And then my glory will be revealed in this city. Even though Babylon thought they were taking you into exile, that they were going to enslave you, you are going to be a people who live for the glory of God and live freely in me because I have established that. He says to the enemy essentially in that text, you thought you were taking my people captive. I let you take them captive so I could establish a base camp in enemy territory for my glory and my good. 
so I can mobilize my people to live for me in such a way that all of you that are outsiders, all Babylonians, they would recognize there is something about this people that is different. This is a people of God. And so, City Church, are we going to be a people of God that becomes recognizable? Of course, that begins with the relationships that we have in this city, the relationships that we have within this body right here. But we also believe that God has called us to establish a base camp, to put down deeper roots. There is, we hope, redemptive power in our permanent presence in this city. And so as we lead our lives and we think about how we can glorify God, we want to make His presence felt. And so we are beginning or have begun the process of establishing a permanent home for the city church Melissa to gather in. A building on a piece of property that God has sovereignly entrusted to us for His purposes. A place where we can seek the peace of the city. A building that will be utilized for His kingdom. And I'll go back to where I started. What will a building allow us to do? What, will, what are we called to do as we sacrifice so that we can see this building come to fruition? It will allow us to gather in community more consistently and more broadly. It will give us greater opportunities to study the Bible. It will help us and provide just geographical space to better nurture families. And ultimately, it will allow us a place to love our city, to open up the doors of this building Monday through Saturday, as well as Sunday morning to our community, to be lived in, to be utilized, so that we can love this city and beyond. I'm going to share more about that. We're going to, if you are, if that's news to you, this idea of us building a building, we're going to have some snacks right after service, after we break from here. And in the kids' space room, one of the reasons we didn't have kids' church is so we could go in there right after service. And I'm going to outline for you in more detail what those plans look like for us to build this building. So I don't want to do that in here. That's not the purpose of this, this, this time or this space this morning. But I am going to talk about that. I'd love to invite any one of you, if you haven't had a chance to see or want to know more about that, you have questions, then just stick around again. we got kids, we got child care. We have a little bit of food to hold you over till you can get to that buffet. Um, we'll just, but, but come and join us right after service, and I'll talk about in more detail what that looks like. But here's what that, that calls us to do. Here's our responsibility in that. We believe that as, as a elders and as a team, as a church family, that this is who we've been called to be, and this is a step that we've been called to take. But it requires that we lay down our lives, that we would sacrifice to see that happen. Yes, there's a financial need that we have to meet in order for us to make that happen, in order for the Lord to do that. And so we are coming together, and we're beginning, and we have begun talking about this and inviting you to sacrifice, to give sacrificially so that we might have this place that we could use to seek the welfare of the city where God has sent us into exile and find in that our own welfare. I'm going to close with two stories. First thing, when I think of sacrifice, our very first Sunday here, the King family gathered with us, and I got to know Tyson and Jackie again, and I'm not calling them out. I already asked permission, so don't get nervous. You can always talk to me. I'll always ask permission if I'm going to tell your story. Um, but I, uh, um, 
got an opportunity, we've just been blessed over a season that Tyson and I began to have breakfast at IHOP somewhat consistently and uh, just talking about their faith and their, their life and just how God had been at work in their life and how he brought them here. And um, Tyson would tell with you if he, and he'd be, he'd be happy to come up and share right now because he's that kind of a guy. I'm not going to call on him to do that. But if, he, if, if I'd asked him, he would share with you that their life was, again, not really anchored to the kingdom of God. They were great people, loving people, often generous people. But the way they viewed their finances, the way they viewed their life was centered around a lot of worldly things. And in God's sovereignty and in his kindness, he began to move in their life. And, he call, and God called them to lay down a lot of dreams. Dreams that many of us would say, man, that is awesome. That'll be so cool. But they laid down those dreams and they said, no, I think, God, you have a better way for us. You have a better way for our family. And so they have reoriented the way that they live. That starts at the heart. It manifests itself in the way that they live financially, the way they steward their time, the way they lead their kids. But it started with their understanding that God had a purpose and a plan for bringing them here and that His ways were higher and better than their ways. We want to be a people that the next time the King family walks in the door, a different family, we can introduce them to Jesus and we can help them see that there's something bigger and better than just pursuing the ways of the world, pursuing all that this world has to offer them. Many of you have heard from a good friend, young man Christian Norton. He's come to church. He's been with us since we started as a student. Now he's off the university. He's a senior at the University of North Texas and has surrendered to a call to ministry. What you might not know unless you've heard him speak, and again, he shared a little bit here. But when he was a junior or senior student, I want you to listen to this. When he was a young man in our high schools, he didn't care a lick about God. He knew how to show up. He knew how to look the part. But he didn't care what Jesus had to say. He's told me that. He knew how to just kind of get by. He knew what words to say to me to kind of make me feel better. I remember when he was a junior that I had some conversations with some of his classmates and teammates that said, I don't really want to go to that church. I don't want to be a part of that student group because I, I see what Christian does Monday through Friday and then he comes to church or comes on Wednesday and acts like he's got everything figured out. I don't like the hypocrisy of that. And what I encouraged those people to do, I said, hey man, you don't know what God's doing in his life. You don't know how God is going to move in his life. Just stay faithful. Just trust him. Keep coming. Keep gathering and be the voice around him. And after he left our nest, when he went over to the University of North Texas, we sowed some seeds that God brought another one to water and fruit sprung up. And there's a, a young man because of this church's faithfulness to not cast him out, to not say you're worthless and you're done, but to just keep loving and keep pouring into that his life has been transformed by Jesus and now he lives to go and declare the gospel to his community on that campus and ultimately he prays to hopefully preach in a church one day and we look forward to the opportunity to being a part, just a continual part of his story.
How will we continue to be this place for the next Christian Norton to show up and plug into? We have to be thinking long-term, big picture. And so that's why we have said we're going to commit our lives sacrificially to give and to lay down our lives so that we can be obedient to this calling, to seek the welfare of the city where God has sent us into exile, to pray to the Lord on behalf of this city, and to trust that as we seek the welfare of this city that we will find our welfare. We will find our peace as we live obediently. Obedience. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us in that end. And then we're going to stand and we're going to repeat that song that we began with. We're going to ask that the Lord would be magnified through our church. And that we would be magnified together. Father in heaven, that is what we are here for. We are here to bring glory and honor to your name. And we are trusting today in your plans for this church, for this city, and yes, as individuals, as individual families. But our prayer, God, is that we live in obedience to the commands of Scripture that you have given us to seek the welfare of this community you've sent us into, to seek to bring the peace of Christ into this community. Lord, we we need your help. Lord Jesus, help us to live for your glory, trusting that your glory is always for our good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 2950 Cardinal Drive, and we'd love to meet you this coming week. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.